glasses on. I don't know. I'd like I can't tell if there's like a fucking. You can take them off when you get super serious. But Ooh, sometimes the dramatic eyeglass review. Oh, like, oh my dun, dun, god! Dun. <laughs> <laughs> you know all about. It. You've done it before. <laughs> you know, dramatic. I might be a little dramatic. Right? This could be good for me. Lately, I was feeling like I need a purpose. Welcome to episode fourteen. Of the MF and Block podcast, uh, my guest this week on you. the block. Can you do it? Can I you try, make it? I, I tried to, but it was too. I'm not coordinated <laughs> enough. Daniel, my boy Daniel, we've known each other a few years now. Yeah, at least a few years. Uh, we got to know each other through bourbon, uh, which is a great spirit. That's a great spirit in general. Who thought that whiskey, or at least being like, I don't want to say an abuser. <laughs> <laughs> Of whiskey would create such a great, you know, community and friends. Connoisseur. Connoisseur. There it is. We're not alcoholics if we're connoisseurs. A fucking loose end. <laughs> I have been called a loose cannon once or twice. So, actually, with this episode, I really wanted to talk about, um, you're a, you're a veteran. Uh, ex-military, but you're never ex. You're always, you're always whatever you were, right? I think it depends on the branch you were in. I think some branches feel that way more than others. Um, you know, like people who might have done more, you know. But the problem what you have is you have, like, you're the Marines in the Army, which, I mean, as much as people talk shit between forces, and like, you know, talk shit about each other's branches, like, you always respect one another. Yeah. You know, a lot of us, like, I know, like, a lot of dudes in the Navy, like myself, it felt like that, that, you know, they joined up, but they could have done more, and circumstances fucked them out of being able to do more, and and then there's the Chair Force, and then there's the Coast Guard, which is just Department of Transportation. <laughs> they didn't become DOD, I talk shit, real lovingly and everything, but it's, it's, it's I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, anyhow. And you, uh, like one of the big things that I really kind of want to focus on is when people, when when members of the military come home and, and they're they're done with their career or their stint, whatever it is that they refer to it as, when they're done with that that moment in their life and coming home and readjusting to to regular everyday life, uh, like it's got to be a struggle because yeah, yeah. you're on you're on like in the military you're on such a routine. Yeah, there ain't no school to teach you how to be a civilian again. Like, like that's been my biggest struggle. I've been out since, like, I joined the Navy. <clears throat> Essentially, the way it worked out was, like, I was fucking sick and tired of high school. I was like, this shit is stupid. I got to get the fuck out of here. So instead of, like, just dropping out, I graduated a year early. And then, like, three weeks before graduation, I mean, I had been thinking about it for a month or two beforehand, but... Like, three or four weeks before graduation, it suddenly reality dawned in was like, oh, you got to do something after this. Like, oh, fuck. Like, like <laughs> this I is had real. To, yeah, yeah, it's this real. It's really like, real. I hadn't applied to any schools, not a one. When I went to the SAT, admittedly, I was fucking hungover and high, and I didn't take it seriously. And, and then suddenly reality set in at, you know, 17 years old. I was a dumbass kid. And I was like, what was there with you? Yeah, it was like it was like what the fuck do I do? So that the at your high school, did they uh 
were the counselors. So the counselors at my high school, um, it really felt like they were trying to push a future on everybody. And they did the good counselors. There's like aptitude tests. And then it like tells you what you'd be good at in life. Sounds like you had good counselors, but it was so, it was such a forced thing. Yeah. Like it just felt so forced. But then again, I was that 17 year old that was, cause I graduated when I was 17 as well. So, Mm -hmm. But I was that 17-year-old that was yeah. like, you know what, man? Like, uh, fuck you. You're not telling me what to do. Yeah. I thought I knew everything. But now, maybe it's getting older and experiencing life. I mean, it is getting older it's and experiencing yeah, life. Yeah. It's, it's exactly like, that. Oh, shit, I'm older. Fuck. But, like, I'm really, really, really quick to say, I don't fucking know anything about that. <laughs> like, I just, Dude, I wish I, I had counselors like that in high school. To be completely honest with you, Dr. Woodward, that was his name. I still remember him. Charles Woodward. He was a useless fuck. Man, he really fucked some shit yeah. up for you. Like, no, like, literally, I went to that guy. I was like, I hate high school. I need to get out of here. I want to graduate early. He's like, sorry, there's not any possible chance in hell you could even do that. What's I mean, this dude was like five foot two, bald, glasses. He looked like a, a character out of Big Mouth on yeah. Netflix. You know, he's straight up, just like not as animated. And like, and he was like, sorry, you can't do that. It wasn't. But a week later, I self as a 17-year-old kid discovered that like he was dumb. I could take correspondence courses and I could, in fact, graduate early if I applied myself. Yeah. And I went and took it to him and he was like, Well, you could do this, but um, well, you'd be missing out on your high school experience. I'm like, what high school experience? This is fucking miserable to me. I hate <laughs> it here. Like, there's nothing about this experience I like. The only cool thing that's happened to me is I got laid last year. Like, I was a high school kid. Like, I lost my virginity. I was like, ooh, yeah. I was out of high school before that happened. See, I know. See, for me, it was like 16, but it was really awkward and only lasted a few seconds. Well, I'm sure. Like, dude, so for me, like, in, like in high school, uh, it was a very much, uh, like, 40-year-old virgin. Like, I respect them so much. I'm going to stay completely away from them. And <laughs> But... The only reason I got mine because she was just so like fall over into it that I was just like, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, just put it in. I'm like, but is it gentle? She was way more of a dude than I was. I don't want to break anything. Well, like, I don't want to do it. It's like, oh my God. Oh. It's like McLovin. He's like, it's in the hole. It was over. Yeah, but that's the only reason I like because this chick, but you know, that's a whole other fucking story. But like, dude, I wanted to play, so I played. I started playing music at a young age, and uh, I wish I had, but I was just never like all I wanted. All I wanted to do in high school was play punk rock with my friends. Of course, smoke weed, yeah, and like play shows, like play parties, popular shit. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like. There were a bunch of kids like around that age that start bands, and like a lot of like there there were dudes. I was in a band called Excalibur. <laughs> it was a metal band. I was a bassist. That's all and I, can, I couldn't play bass. That's all I can imagine when you say that name. Like, they were they were dope as themselves, but they had this bassist that was like, I don't I don't know how to play that. That was me. Like I was just not a musician as much as I'd be sitting there like, I know how to play Nirvana unplugged. <laughs> because it's such a simple bass line, you can teach it to a chip. I was like, like man on fire. It's so easy. I did. So, like, I, I literally all I wanted to do was 
play music with my friends and get high. That's all I wanted yeah, to do. It sounds and accurate. Like I barely, uh, like in my high school graduation, there was I, always the hallucination of getting asked too. Oh yeah, I mean, but like, I never had that. Yeah, like, yeah, I didn't even care about that. Oh man, like that was man. was was weird. I didn't care about that part. Oh, I was but like, dude, like at my at my high school graduation, there was uh, there were teachers that were literally surprised that I was able <laughs> to graduate. I had a teacher that was like that. She was like, you know what? I'm on. No, she literally told me. And to this day, if I ever see her, I still want to fuck her. She was my art teacher. She was hot. Miss Honaker, if you see this, I know you're single. Hit me up. Hit me up. <laughs> I know you got divorced. You might be 15 years, 20 years older. But. So when you went, uh, like, did you enlist, like, directly after you graduated? Before I graduated. Before? So you were, like, you were. Giving yourself something to look forward yeah. to. Way I talked to, to him, and then, like, it was, like, four or five weeks before graduation, and that's, like, I was saying, when, like, I was suddenly, like, oh, my God, I got to do something after this. Um, I went to my recruiter. Um, oddly enough, I can't remember the dude's full name anymore. I used to be able to. And I was like, yeah, dude. He was like, all right, so what do you want to do? And, like, I was probably the easiest recruiter ever. I was like, yeah, do this. He was like, wait, for real? I was like, yeah. Let's do it. He's like, oh, let's take a drug test. I was like, all right, uh, do I have to pass right now? <laughs> and he's like, no, we're just to see where you at. Because a recruiter will drug test you in office before they ever take you to the MEP station. And then they'll coach you on what you need to say and not to say. Okay. So if you're asked the military, I've never done drugs. If you've asked my recruiter, I've definitely done drugs. <laughs> <laughs> PO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's a, yeah. Like so I once had I worked at this uh this vending company, right? Stock and vending machines. Ooh. And uh because of all the liability, like I'm driving a company truck. And Yo, I passed money. you one day on 75 South. Right? Early as fuck. Yeah, I texted you, I think it was like yeah. four thirty in the morning. That's when I was working out like a motherfucker. Yeah, I remember that so, too. Like, like, dude, when I did that job, you took a drug test every year and it was right around the time the right around the time of year you got hired. Oh yeah. So every time that that time of year started to approach, uh, someday we all had lockers, and in our locker they would slide in the the paperwork to go get your drug test. So, oh damn! Like going to the principal's office at school, like yeah, anything, yeah, like, they just the slide in your locker. Like, oh mother! So the it was the very after I had worked there for the first year that I was there, uh, that day came and the paperwork was in my locker. Right, so I go into the the operation manager's office and i was like hey todd his name was todd, Ooh, todd. Uh, i was like, like hey todd uh and here's the interesting thing about todd's uh like todd's might have best friends but nobody's best friend is named todd That's yeah what, no for real <laughs> like i got a guy dude that works like todd he's a great dude and shit but uh tony's literally. tony's are also in that group yeah tony's yeah and tony's are definitely if in you're group. if you're uh chad different story <laughs> a kevin somebody feels bad for chad's and kevin's I don't know. Love you, Schuler. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't forget that at cost fifteen year four roses. All right, yeah, right. <laughs> so he, uh, no. So Todd, I go into Todd's office and I was like, "Hey, Todd, uh, I just got a question about because this is the first time I had to go like yeah, take a yearly take, one, yeah, right? Yeah. And I took the the pre employment. Now the year's up. Uh, so I take the paperwork in Todd's office and I was like. And knock on his door, and he's like, "Hey, hey, Pat, how can I help you?" I was like, "Hey, uh, just got a quick question about the drug test." 
<laughs> that you, <laughs> the, you yeah, that's when you always see the computer go down like yes like literally he stopped every fucking thing he was doing the lights for whatever reason seemed to get brighter <laughs> like and he looked at me like dude he spun like this like what about it <laughs> and i was <laughs> i'm trying to keep a straight face because the question the question that i have isn't nearly as serious as whatever he's fucking anticipating oh, yeah, right yeah and he goes, what about it? And I was like, like, that's the same location that I have to go to that I went to for the pre-employment, right? Like, it's not a different place. He's let down. And he was like, like, let down. It was like, he didn't want, he didn't want to admit to himself that he was let down. So he just stayed stern. He's like, yeah, same place. Yeah, but he and was let down. So look, I leave his office and the walk from his office to where I parked my car was literally a two two minute and fifteen second walk. Right? How do you know the exact time? I timed it once. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. I parked in the same fucking spot every day. <laughs> Dude, I set myself up so I can tell these kinds of stories later on. Because <laughs> <laughs> I timed it. So it was it was like a two minute walk, right? Okay. From from his office. Okay. And, and I had stopped and get a drink of water or whatever. Uh, so two forty five. Before I get to my fucking car, like this is within three minutes of me leaving his office. Before I get to my car, he texts me and he says, "If for any reason you think you can't pass that drug test, let me know." And I was like, "Dude, I literally like I texted him. I was like, bro, I'm gonna pass it. <laughs> I just wanted to know where the fuck it was. Like that's literally all I wanted to know, man." He's like, "No, this motherfucker came in here." For another reason. But the fact it's like is... He, it's like he felt like I was like, too embarrassed to fucking ask him, like... You know what yeah, I mean? Like, no, he's probably like, yo, I smoke weed too. But he probably, what it was, is like... He's like, yo, I smoke weed too. And I don't want this dude to get fucked over for weed. Like, we all feel differently about heroin. When well, he knew... He shit. knew... He, he probably, if it was heroin opioids, would be like, yeah. You need to make sure you get that done ASAP. Well, his sure. his fucking nephew was one of the route drivers, and he knows that his nephew fucking smokes oh, yeah. weed. Everyone, everyone that works there. Okay, outside of one dude, I'm gonna fucking tell a story about this guy because this is a good one. I have one to follow up on. So that. he fucking. Uh, oh shit! I'm not gonna say his name because he may still work for the company, and I'm not throwing you under the bus. We'll call him Shelby Jones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Shelby the Shark Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, this dude one day comes up to me and he's like, yo, yo, uh, so-and-so told me that you know about some cookies. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like, man, I've never smoked anything. I'm going on this camping trip and like, I'd like a cookie. So, you know, the next day at work, like, for whatever reason, he found cookies on his seat of his truck, right? Yeah, it's fucking randomly. So it's like kind stranger. That was Friday. And he goes on his camping trip when he got off work. And Monday I come in and he, uh, he said, dude. Those fucking cookies ruined my whole fucking weekend. <laughs> that sounds like every time someone eats my animals. It, it sounds like a Rushman thing. Yeah. And so he fucking, dude, he literally tells me it ruins his whole fucking weekend. And I was like, dude, what happened? Did you follow the instructions? <laughs> it came with a little postcard. <laughs> Step one. So make sure there's no cops around. <laughs> like, if there were instructions in that, it would have probably said, like, Hey, you've never smoked? Start off with a quarter of this thing. Yeah. Um, and then after like 45 minutes, if you're not really feeling anything, eat another quarter. Mm -hmm. uh, but do not eat an entire fucking cookie. Oh, yeah. For any reason. That's the do warning. not. 
That's the one. Uh, so a warning's there for a reason. Dude, he told me that he ate half of it. From the get-go? Yep. And he was like, you know, after like 20 minutes, I wasn't feeling anything. I was like, 45! <laughs> 40 I said minutes. 40! I was very fucking clear! 45! So... So he eats the whole fucking cookie, right? And he goes, yeah, like near near where we were camping, right. there was a swimming pool. Oh, so like we oh, went yeah. over and got in the swimming pool and he was like, everything was going great. Yep. Uh, until I went to get in. out of the fucking pool. He was like, I grabbed the ladder to climb out. It was an in-ground pool. Grabbed the ladder. He was like, dude, it took forever to get out of that His pool. His body stopped working. <laughs> it's what I call like. But the same way your muscles will feel if they could laugh. Yeah. You're just like. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, this isn't funny. <laughs> but your arms are like. <laughs> well, then he, so then he, uh, then he tells me after he finally gets out of the pool, he's like, so then I basically like fucking crawl all the way back to my tent. And then I went to sleep for like 14 hours. And yep. I was like, follow the fucking instructions, it's man. It's not that hard. Like, you got a blow dryer, it says don't use it in the fucking bathtub. Don't fucking <laughs> use it in the bathtub. There's a warning on the fucking label dude, for a reason. you don't even need that warning, though, about fucking blow dryers, But here's dude. the thing. Is, you know, so I have I have two real quick ones to shoot at you. I oh, have, real quick. I, old Forrester 150th anniversary Because release. why the fuck not? Is that getting clear on that? I don't fucking Whatever. Know. It's they can matter. read it. They can read it. We told them what it was. So they yeah. have to believe it. It's the internet. Yeah, it is That's the, the rule. So, two quick stories. The hilarious thing is, I used to, I, when I fucking started making edibles, which I'll make, I'll make cookies and I'll make caramels. This is incredible. And that I do, it is. I love this one. Not gonna lie. So, like, I started out and I would make cookies. And the only thing I never liked, I've ever liked about making cookies, is I've never liked. Tasting the weed as I eat it. I don't mm -hmm. like that. I don't know why. It's always had an off-putting thing to me. So I used to make a fuckload of edibles of cookies and shit for people at work. On a, and I never charged for it. I just did it because it was fun to me to figure to figure out the processes. So I used to take like, you know, great grandma's recipes and put weed in it. People were like, these are amazing. And I'm like, I had one dude who's like, dude, what the fuck? I ate one of those cookies and I tripped balls all weekend. I'm like, well, you should have known not to be a pussy. My fault. I have a friend who's my favorite thing about the caramels that you made, right? Yeah, you made some caramels and uh, you hooked me up with some. And I remember, like, I I had had it for a while and didn't didn't bother doing anything with it. Yeah. And then I messaged you one day and I was like, Yo, how much did you say to eat of this? And you were like, Yeah, like a finger's worth. And I was like, Man, I got big fingers, bro. <laughs> Uh, so I cut off like how much is a finger of my finger, right? And I ate the whole fucking thing. And about forty-five minutes later, forty-five, uh, it was fucking too much. <laughs> well, it's the funny thing is leading to that. Is, I have a friend who much. says this. He's, I've been friends with this kid since sixth or seventh grade, and his fucking a saying he lives by is this: "Yo, if Dan gives you drugs and he says take this much, you'll be cool." He says, I always take a third. <laughs> <laughs> and it's time to ask because I don't digest the same, but leading up to it was the cookie thing. Like, I didn't like tasting the weed in it. So that's what led to my excursion and making caramels. Yeah, yeah. And what led to it was, was the owner of my place of employment, we'll say it. 
So I give it some cookies to people at work, and he's a sweet tooth. And he goes up to the bar room manager, and she has his bag of cookies, and he eats like four of them. And she comes back, turns turns around, says, "Oh my fucking god, dude, what have you just done?" And he says, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Those are weed cookies." He said, "I'm going home." <laughs> and we, we didn't see him for seven days. We did not see him for seven days. And then I made care. I started making caramels. And that's what I got into it as. Like, my buddy, I started making them. I'm like, if you're going to do them, make them right. And I was like, my buddy asked me the same thing. I was like, how much you take? I was like, I don't know. Take like a finger. And he did that. And ever since then, he's like, if Dan says take like, you know, a finger worth of his chocolate, take like a fourth. Or a third of that because like it's strong. It's like dude, giving giving uh, giving bosses drugs. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do just so, eat the cookies. No, so check this out. I worked when I was fifteen or sixteen. I was sixteen. I was driving. Yeah. When I was sixteen, I worked at a steak and shake. Oh yeah, yeah. And we'll get high. the oh, store, dude. So, so the store manager, the store manager comes up to me one day and he goes, "Man, I got some buddies coming in that I went to college with," and. It was a very the movie Waiting. Yeah, oh dude, yeah. It was very much like this. I love that. It was shit. very much yeah. like that, right? That is exactly what so restaurant he, life is like. He was like middle aged, like trying to yep. hang on to being cool, but he's yep. definitely not cool. Wait, was he like Ryan Reynolds or was he like Dan the manager? Dan Wait. the manager. Oh damn. Yeah. So he was way past yeah. that. So he he dude, he fucking he comes up to me and he goes, Dude, I got some Three friends. To two choir rock <laughs> He's like, I got some friends coming in that I went to college with, and like, we kind of want to relive some fucking college days. And uh, he was like, "Let's face it, I know you do drugs." <laughs> I can't imagine the lean in. <laughs> and, and then he was like, "We used to eat a bunch of mushrooms back in college, and I was wondering if you could get some mushrooms." And I was like, "Yeah, dude, are you trying to fire me? Like, what are you trying?" Like, are you, you trying to, like, get me, me to get you drugs so you can fire me? Like, I'm confused. Like, yeah. Oh, shit. Yes, I did. Uh, I did. I did suck down a case of the fucking uh, whipped cream, dude. When I took the garbage out, I sucked the gas out of him, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then he just goes, uh, he's like, no, I need you to go, like, really, seriously, give me some mushrooms. And I was like, all right, dude, I'll get you some mushrooms. So I, I bring the mushrooms in the next day. And I give them to him, and then I uh, I was off the next couple days, right? <laughs> so I'm off, come back into work, and immediately, let's call the dude Mark. I don't remember what his name was. but So Mark the okay. manager. Mark the man. <laughs> <laughs> Mark the manager. Mark the manager. <laughs> he fucking, he got fired. Oh, what? He got fired in the two days that I've been off work. And he got fired because he just disappeared. Ooh, that's. So he literally, apparently, uh, his friends that were coming in from college canceled on him. So they weren't coming at all now. Oh, now he's an ounce of mushrooms. So he ate these mushrooms while he was in the office at Steak and Shake. That's a bad idea. Then one of the, one of like the, the daily managers or whatever came back to the office. They said that he was perched like a bird up on the desk, right? And all those fast food restaurants, the desk is like mounted to the fucking yeah, wall. It's not wall. a desk yeah, at all. Yeah, no, it's, it's a counter. So he's like yeah. perched and the fucking desk is like leaning down because he's standing on it. Wow. <laughs> but dude. he's perched like a bird and the manager went into the office and they're like, hey, Mark the manager, you okay? 
He jumps off the fucking table, squawking like a bird, runs out the back door, gets in his car, and peels off. Yep, that dude can't handle his drugs. He was out. He was gone. Yeah. Gone. And then, he ate too many. dude, he disappeared, and they tried to call him. He never returned the calls. And, like, after two days, that's, that's, like, that's probably two or three day adventure. You're like, yeah. dude, you're done. You're yeah. done. Yeah, that guy's an idiot. Like, that, that I mean, two hilarious quick stories on shrooms. My butt, like, I fucking was, after I got out of the Navy and shit, and after my divorce, like, and after I just looked for a place to belong, so I joined AmeriCorps, and I went to AmeriCorps for a year, and I came back, and then my buddy was living down in Ludlow, Kentucky, so I moved down there with him, and it was dirt fucking cheap. I'm like, 200-something bucks rent. It was a house that fucking three different dudes were renting. My rent was $200. I didn't have to sign shit. My name wasn't on anything. That's the best was, thing. Yeah. And it was literally 100 yards from the Ludlow Bromley Yacht Dude, Club. Daniel, I'm 36 years old. You know what I've never had in my name? What? Utilities. <laughs> so I've had multiple of those. Never. But. And like, dude, the well, other day, me, me and Amy were talking about it, and she was like, How have you never? And I was like, I don't fucking know. It know. just does. Right? <laughs> Dude, no, like, no, imagine living 100 yards from the Ludlow Bromley Yacht Club. Oh, I played, me, me and my wife went there consistently when uh, when we first met. Yeah. We were going there now, like, imagine living there when you found a dope-ass drug connection, and suddenly your drug intake and alcohol intake goes from, like, zero to 100. Real quick. And that <laughs> is what Ludlow, Kentucky was to me. Was like, and that was still part of my recovery and getting over shit, and... So your the your divorce was after you after you got out of the navy. I got out of the navy before my ex wife actually. How long? How long were you in the navy? I was in the navy for six years. I joined, um, I joined and I shipped out October. I shipped out October twenty fourth of two thousand and four. I would have gone earlier uh, because of nine eleven and shit, but you know, wasn't the old. I wasn't old enough. And shit. Yeah. And I would have got Marines, I would have got Army and all this other shit, but really I went to the Navy because my grandfather was in the Navy. My grandfather has had, of all the people in my life, and, and, I, and I know that if I said it to my dad, it might hurt his feelings a little bit, but my grandpa has been one of the biggest influence of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, just because of how he's lived it, the shit that he's gone through, like, when I say he was Born with a silver spoon in his mouth, he was one of the original heirs to like Procter and Gamble fortune. Wow! Like, and he fucking his father died of fucking high blood pressure when he was three. His mother died, and he was orphaned at the age of twelve when he uh, when she died from high blood pressure. And his stepdad fucking was like, "Ha! Your inheritance is mine. Peace out, bitch!" Kicked him out on the street, and he was an orphan at twelve years old. And like what he built his life into, and the fact is that he retired at the age of like fifty-five or fifty-eight. It's like in his late fifties is when he retired and just started doing his own fucking thing. And his like lack of like giving a fuck of what other people gave a shit about him and all that was always a huge inspiration. The fact that he joined the Navy was a huge inspiration. He wasn't a World War Two vet or something like that. He wasn't some historic fucking vet that like Paul after I was just admired the um the independence that he displayed through the crazy shit he had been through. Like here I was 
at 17 and I'd had both my parents and, you know, I had my family and it's, yeah, we had a fucked up home life to a degree, but the beautiful thing about being the youngest and being the youngest who was not only graduating high school, but doing it early and had already signed up to join the Navy was that I didn't have to listen to their shit. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I remember, I remember very specifically one day my mom came at me and I was stoned. I was high as fuck. And she, and she was going at me this, that. She's like, blah, 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 marijuana, this, marijuana, that. And I remember turning around and being like, mom, what the fuck do you want from me? Like, Tiffany got pregnant when she was 21. She dropped out of college her first year in. Left you with mascot money. And now I found out later that she had been raped. And, and they didn't tell me because they knew that how angry it would have made me. I have the tightest relationship with how many that, How old were you when, they, when you found out? Oh, I was out of the Navy when they told me. Oh, fuck. So you're yeah. an adult. Like, I helped drive her to fucking Tennessee to Belmont College. I remember. And I remember things just fell apart. She was doing great. And things fell apart for her. And I had no idea for years that she had been date raped. And they told me the reason they never told me is because they were afraid what I would have done. Yeah. I love my sister. She's crazy as fuck, just like me. <laughs> I love the shit out of her because, yeah, she's crazy as fuck, but she's one of the most generous people you will ever meet in your fucking life. Not like yourself, life. to be honest. And, I mean, I see things yeah. that other people don't see that you do to help people out. and You're, you're right in that same ballpark. I, well, I appreciate that, man. It's just, I find, it's, it's fucked up, but I kind of find value in... I don't, I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't believe in spiritual life. I believe in what we do in our life can make a difference in someone else's. And if we're just kind to somebody, that it doesn't matter if I wind up burning in a fucking pit or like, fucking is it, is it really, is it it really a crazy idea to think that like maybe your afterlife is just the legacy that you leave? That's it. You know in I mean? my opinion, that's literally all you got because... I'm with you. I, that's I mean, honestly, you, and, you and I, you and I are. The that's same why. Page. That's honestly what ended my um, suicidal, not ideolations, but it ended my suicidal tendencies. Was realizing that my life is finite. That what I have right now is all I'm ever going to have, and honestly, that's the thing that stopped for me after getting out the uncontrollable urge of wanting to kill myself all the fucking time. So, like, I, um, the, the, uh, like, one big, you've got center of seas, right? What? Yeah, you, yeah. You were I at, spent, you I was in, I was in, um, I was in for six years. And I, we, uh, don't, and have to, we don't have to talk about they measure, stories. Well, like, but, the thing is, you're not going to hear any crazy combat stories from me because... I was in the Navy. I can tell you stories that to this day I have dreams about on occasion that on this day, like, still fuck me up. Like it was shit you went through? Yeah. That you're just re-seeing? Like, uh, I almost died four times on the Kitty Hawk. Wow. They're very clear. They're very clear. And when I'm really feeling fucked up, the dreams come back, 
and I remember everything. And it's terrifying. It is. It's terrifying. Like, I worked in a power plant that, give me an example. Um, the U.S. Navy fleet has always been prided on their carriers, their aircraft mm-hmm. carriers. We have, I think... That was in, before Pearl Harbor, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean the Kittyhawk was commissioned in the 50s. I think in 1951 is when it was com- not commissioned. Sorry, it was when it was stricken for building. It wasn't commissioned until a few years after that. But the Kitty Hawks are 51 years of active duty. Well, you see aircraft carriers, subs, destroyers, all that shit. They're either gas turbines or all that shit, or they're nuclear. The Kitty Hawk was the last steam power, steam powered boiler generated carrier in the United States Naval Fleet. It served. 52 years of active duty service, which was second compared to the oldest serving active warship, which is the USS Constitution, which is in Boston, which has literally been commissioned since the Revolutionary War. So the only ship that has served more wartime than the Kitty Hawk is a ship that is ceremoniously commissioned because we've owned it since we stole it from the British in the Revolutionary War. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So we served, it served 51 years of active duty service. It was the last carrier that's operated off of steam boilers. Our boilers would burn six burners per boiler, 55 gallons of fuel per second per a burner. Jesus. So six burners burning 55 gallons of fuel per second at full belt. Which is one five four bell, meaning each shaft is turning one hundred fifty four hours like per minute. The steam was twelve hundred psi, wow. at around a thousand degrees. It was superheated, there, super dry there a steam. Lot of burn injuries, I guess. Well, yeah, but the thing is, with steam, that pressure of that heat is it's so dry, you don't see it. They used oh, to issue shit. broomsticks to engineers. To walk by steam lines because it would cut and wave it, and then you'd wave it, and like fucking butter through a thousand degree knife would be like, like a fucking wow. Japanese katana slicing through bamboo. And you know the the thing to be cool was like people would come down to get their surface warfare pins. So they would have to go through engineering and get all this trained engineering. Mm-hmm. I used to lean over to these steam valves, and I would light my cigarette off of these steam valves. You would just lean over and be like, be like one or two puffs, and wow. and you would light your cigarette off of the fucking steam valve. The steam line might have been... That's more handy than a stovetop. Dude, it was. It, was, <laughs> it really was. But like also the chemicals to supply boiler water, for example, because you need no oxygen to boil the water because you get oxidation... If you get oxidation on a high-pressure boiler, it explodes. It'll kill people. Um, like the chemicals basically state that, like, hey, touch me, you're going to get cancer eventually. So any water that our boiler water, you know, was basically cancerous and all that shit, and the fucking insulate. I mean, so imagine a steam line that thick. Like, say it's an inch and a half line. If it's a main steam line, the Insulation around that was this big. Wow. I shit you fucking not. Like the biggest, like cross connect valves were like 
the hand wheels on them were like this big around the cross connecting one plant and another so you could heat one up before you lit it off if you will i mean if you're gonna light off a cold plant you can fuck shit up and it, it was just fucking one of those things. Like there was just a few. There's a few different memories that are fucking definitely difficult to deal with. On how, um, you know, once we were cross, cross, um, connecting steam to another plant, and someone had left the bypass open, and suddenly, fucking, here's this thousand degree steam, just boom, like, and it creates a cloud. And because there's so much humidity in the room and this cloud just coming at you. And I remember it because I remember pulling Ace out the boiler. My dude, Henny Akfaji, this Guamanian dude. I love this dude. I'm still friends with him. And Henny Panglini Akfaji. <laughs> He's from Guam. And his dad, I remember because after that situation happened, we went to Guam and his dad and his mom, like he, because he was from Guam and we ported in Guam all the time. I'm like, you saved my son. You saved my only son. I was like, I didn't save your son at all. Like, it ended. Like, shit ended before anything, anyone could have been hurt. Like, it was ended. Uh, but, like, it, it sets in as reality of it is like, like, you could be cooked alive like a lobster. Real quick. Real quick. And then it happened. And um, three dudes um, off the Frank S. Cable. They were in Guam. They came to the Kitty Hawk. They came to the Kitty Hawk to help us do some boiler repairs. It was a chief, first class petty officer, and a third class petty officer. They were um, such stand up dudes. And then um, one day we hear there's a boiler explosion on the Frank A, the Frank S cable. Um, the Frank Cable was a like a subtender kind of ship. It's pretty big. They would hold two thousand sailors. That's a pretty big ship. Uh-huh. The Kitty Hawk held um, fully, you know, landed with the air wing offers of six thousand people. Um, and we hear there's a boiler explosion on on the cable, Frank S Cable, and we're like, well, what happened? And uh, um, so essentially. They were in port steaming, is what we called it. You're lit off, you're ready to go underway. And um, most of the guys weren't in the space because they were in port steaming. They were off doing other shit. I think it was lunch or something like that. And they were doing a blowdown. And the boiler tube erupted, which inside of your superheater that your flame shoots in, you have steel tubes that run through it on like a D-type boiler and it'll flash on the steam inside the tubes and so on and so forth. Mm. Well, the boiler tube erupted. It exploded. And it came around inside the burner box and it slapped all the other tubes. Oh, Jesus. And that slapping erupted all those other tubes and the massive eruption of pressure of water vaporizing exploded their boiler. Um, the guy who was a third class is pretty new on board. He was killed pretty quickly. The chief in the first class saved 2,000 lives that day because instead of running away, they ran through the space and they went through what we were trained to do as an engineer. 
you were trained in a standard operating procedure and they went through that standard operating procedure. They shut down the plant and they died in the hospital with 80 to 90 percent first degree burns or what's what is it first or third is the word third, third degree burns across 90 percent of their body the third class had third class a uh, third degree burns across 70 percent of his body he survived for three days and then he died because it's almost impossible to last or survive period with third degree burns across more than 60 70 yeah. percent of your body they all died these are all men that i learned from they came to the kitty hop they did repairs for us yeah. they taught some of us how to do like things. What, what's really interesting about that story compared to like i i've got friends that like my buddy duncan for example he was one of the first troops that got dropped in baghdad yeah. after we blew the fuck out of baghdad because yeah, right? yeah, they had they sent in the marines to clear all those buildings right yeah yeah so that's the that calling. is when the marines main mission changed from what it has been from the foundation of this country to where we are now yeah. the marines that were put into this that this war the marines were first in strike force out mm -hmm. then they took the marines strike force in keep blast keep going you're now basically the army yeah. so he it killed a lot of lot i'm not of i'm not going to tell his stories for him but he saw some shit like he was in a building that got blown up by an american plane because they didn't follow mm -hmm. protocol they didn't laser correct um there was a calibration issue and somebody gave a go ahead when there was a holdup um, but they, uh, it's just interesting. The stories that you hear, like, with, like with you, it wasn't, it wasn't an enemy shooting at you or anything. It was literally the equipment that you were working on cause every day. And I, I, I just, for me, it's just interesting. Cause you, a lot of times when you, any kind of like PTSD shit or traumatic experience, a lot of people just immediately go to like oh you must have been hit with mortars or blah you blah, blah a or this. Fight. Mm. and like it yeah. it doesn't always it doesn't always have to be that well, like simply working on a fucking ship you're putting your life at risk like i that. mean like imagine that's crazy. a woman who has been raped like she's gonna have ptsd yeah, 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 yeah. imagine a parent who's lost a child like it's just PTSD. i think it's just eye-opening like, to see how many different levels of trauma can really fucking lead to shit that fucks you up oh dude and i'm not gonna lie to you like being the person in the navy who didn't jump into battle and who wasn't fucking like in firefights and shit there is a, a there's another degree of suffering and that other degree is i didn't do enough i didn't sacrifice enough when I joined the Navy, like, is I, it a feeling like you don't feel like you said, like, you know, you like, that, like the whole, like that whole saying, like, uh, some gave all or all gave some, some gave all. Yeah. It's but, not even that. It's just that you didn't earn the respect that people will give you. Yeah. When people say, thank you for your service. I smile. I nod my head. I thank them, but I didn't earn that respect. I didn't do enough to earn that respect. If I to earn that respect, I I 
shouldn't be here. I had no intention of ever getting out of the military alive. I had zero intention. I was ready to go individual augmentee duty, boots on the ground, Iraq, Afghanistan. I wanted to go to the most dangerous areas I could. And I got fucked by my chief engineer. And everyone in my department, an apartment of 800 people, got fucked by a chief engineer wanting to basically blow the fucking captain. And, you know, all these guys are mission essential and shit. That guy robbed me of the experience of why I joined the military. I joined the military to sacrifice. I joined the military because I wanted to know discipline, because I wanted to know true suffering. The fact is, is most people who join the fucking military is because it's a sick and fucking twisted way is we want to know what it feels like to know true suffering. because. We do not ever feel that we deserve anything. Because you feel like you're giving yourself up for your country, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah you do. Like, did, did you feel, so upon leaving the military, uh, like, did you feel, did you feel let down? Like you didn't give, your, like you uh, clearly, like you didn't give yourself up, right? Yeah. Honestly, I had no intentions of leaving the military alive. So as far, like, when you, and me and you have talked loose, loosely in the in the past about this. So, like, uh, the the divorce that you went through, coming back, right? And then, then you have a divorce that you end up going through. Do you feel like any of that was caused from what, what you were experiencing or reliving in your head from what happened? Like, were you closed off at all? Or, like, did... You were obviously changed. Like, my friend Duncan, right? I, I love the dude. I didn't meet him before he went to the Marines, right? Yeah. I met him after he, after yeah, he after came he's home. changed. And he's got a nervous twitch. He's always got, like, six lighters in his hands. And yeah. he's twirling them around like a fucking circus clown. Yeah. And, like, as far as the whole, like, I appreciate anybody that enlisted because every one of them did something that I didn't do, right? But I don't, I'm not the dude that says, th I thank you for your service. I'm the dude that just treats you like the dude that I've always fucking known my whole life. And let's go to the bar and get a drink or let's go to the casino or let's go do this or let's go do that. Let's go to the fucking shooting range. Let's, let's do something. Let's That's do something really like, all a lot like a normal thing. For, like, like just a normal fuck. Like I don't want, yeah. like I, I hate the, the idea. Like I like the, I like the idea of um, like acknowledging things and, and just, just raising awareness of, of certain things. Yeah. But like, I really hate the fucking like, the making them feel special because you're in a way you're isolating them and and i'm not saying that i'm right and everyone should do no no this. i know what you're saying but like for me like i just feel like when you when you make something feel so special and you make it stand alone you're making it even more isolated than it was to be well that's what our country was made hold on a second. <laughs> shut up fuckers Lay down! Lay down! <laughs> hey! Lay down! Okay. See? It's getting crazy. And they laid right back down. Yeah, they did. They did. They're good dogs. They're good dogs. <laughs> like, me personally. Like, which, 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 approach, which approach would you rather. And this is different for every. 
every veteran or everybody that's ever spent any time in the military, I'm sure everyone feels a little different. Yeah, about I mean, it. we all have our own opinions like, and feelings. Yeah. Like, do you wish people didn't say, and, and not necessarily because you don't feel like you earned it, but like, would you rather them in general just not fucking say? Thank, thank you for your service. Yeah, I would in general prefer people didn't. Because like, would you rather someone just when they see you, uh, just say like, hey, I'd, rather them, I'd rather than I'd rather than if they're gonna ask anything about my military service, I'd much prefer them ask like, oh, what did you do, and like, you know, what kind of like not ask me what kind of crazy shit I experienced, but just ask me about my experience. I, to be honest with you, like. I would really prefer people not to just immediately be like, thank you so much for your service. Because for some of us, for people like me, specifically, at least, it reminds me of how we didn't fulfill what we expected ourselves to do. You're, you join the military, and the thing about the military is this, is like you need to be brainwashed in order to really firmly be a part of that machine and you have to be willing to be brainwashed so there's a brainwashing you take of going into the military but there is nothing to remove that brainwashing when you're finishing your time in and the fact of the matter is is that like people like myself like who got out for the wrong reasons who got screwed out of the opportunities in which they really chose to join to perform while they were in. Like, I can tell you that when I joined the military, I had zero intentions of leaving the military alive. Mm -hmm. I have no intentions of coming back as a civilian ever. And it happened because you have expectations as you go in. But then when you get out, you... Or like, you know, fuck it, I have no expectations of this, that, and the other. But here's the problem. Now you have a population similar to that of people getting out of prison. Mm-hmm. Who have, maybe they got in trouble at 18. And now they're 30 years old and they're getting out of prison. But the problem is they went to a prison that didn't teach them how to orientate to natural fucking human life for how people act and all that other shit. Exactly. There was no transitional assistance. So like even like with 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 a lot of with a lot of members of the military that experience action of any kind of combat at all, um they do have like the the like the decompression little things that they send you to when you come back. But it's just so fucked up because, like, friend, my friend Duncan, uh, <laughs> only because he and I have talked a lot about this, mm-hmm. but, like, when he, like, after he saw action and saw friends of his die and crazy shit, that that whole decompression thing, he was like, dude, it's the biggest fucking joke ever. Like, they, they, bring, they, they bring you in a fucking room and they just tell you, like, they... They don't let you talk about what happened. Yeah. They continually tell you, you're a hero. You did the right thing. Don't think about the bad shit you saw. Yeah. You did the right they fucking thing. They call it thing. taps. And 
And I get what they're trying to do, but like no, that, they're not trying to do anything. They're trying to do the least. Amount well, they're of they're trying possible. they're trying to convince you that it was fine and to get over it. But the, the the simple fact is, you can't just get over that. Yeah, no, they call it fucking taps. When you get out of the military, you get one thing guaranteed. Right before you get out, you go through the transitional like assistance. I forget program. what the name of it it's was. Called taps. Yeah. Everyone, whether you're fucking Coast Guard, Air Force, Marines, Army, or Navy, goes through TAPS. And the only thing TAPS is meant to do is say, you've been in a military mindset. Here is more of a traditional civilian mindset. Here's how to take advantage of possible benefits to you. Possible is a good word to throw there. Possible. Exactly. <laughs> That's a very good word to because throw there. Half these motherfuckers get out and end up battling with the VA for years over shit. And the fact of the matter is they tell you, get in to the VA, get your benefits and shit. Motherfucker, you think I felt like I deserved any form of benefits after you already I got felt like out you of didn't... the fucking Navy and I feel like I didn't sacrifice every possible portion well, of that's myself. Not, well, you and you to... trained me. And you fucking told me that sacrifice, honor, courage, and commitment is a way of life. And I need to fucking sacrifice everything I am to save the people next to me, regardless of the detriment to my own fucking life. And then when I get out, you don't teach me how to transition from the mindset that I need to sacrifice myself to the point where now... Is a point in time where people might fucking look at me weird or differently because I am willing to ultimately sacrifice everything about myself to the point of utter frustration and anger and then be surprised when I turn around and find out that the civilian life is a fucking disappointment and that I'm just going to fucking kill myself because the medications you put me on made it sound like the greatest idea in the fucking world i have been i have dealt with suicidal ideation since the day i got out of the military and that was an immediate I, that's, that's an immediate immediately thing. worthless i had no sense of purpose i had no sense of belonging i went from having a purpose to having authority to having a mission to having nothing and all they could give me was a class called TAPS. <laughs> I don't want your disability. I want somebody to tell me how I can act around people who haven't been in the military so that they don't look at me like I'm a fucking alien. Uh -huh. I want to feel normal. Like, I will tell you this much. I've been out since... October 24th of 2010. I have not felt like a normal human being once in that time. That's I have understood what normal human beings expect, mm -hmm. but I haven't felt like a normal human being because I was trained not to sit with my back to the door, not to run away from the loud noises and the fucking unexpected you know, circumstances. Yeah, I was just in the Navy, 
but I served on the most dangerous aircraft carrier in the most dangerous job in the entirety of the U.S. Naval Fleet. Uh-huh. And I didn't ask for anything. I just asked them, let me go fucking arm up and put boots on the grounds of the Army and the Marines. And they didn't even fucking let me do that. And there's so there's like a magnitude of levels of regret and, you know, misunderstanding. So when you, like, when you come home and clearly you felt this way immediately, like, did you feel like at any point the, like, you felt like you didn't hold up your end of the bargain for the military? Yeah. Or for the country, even? Yeah. But coming out, and did you feel like the country didn't keep their end of the bargain as far as how, how much this country seems to care about military until it's time to care? Until it's too late to care. And and it's not necessary. And, it, and it's, this isn't attacking the individual civilians in this country, but a lot of it's politicians and moving budgets from here to there and there to here and not giving a shit if a no, system's decrepit. No, I'll tell decrepit. you this. It's, it's lack of understanding on the home end. I'll give you, do you an, think, I'll do give you think an it, example. Do you think at any point, and this is just my personal feelings about it, at any point do you feel like, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't just lack of knowledge or, or compassion on that. It was like a purposeful ignorance. I think like it was like lack a- of awareness. It wasn't purposeful. It might have been accidental. And a perfect example is either way, it's broken. It doesn't yeah, matter what broken. causes like, it. It's broken. Well, here's what I'll say: When I got out, and man, I do, and I do want to say. The problems that I see with how veterans are treated, it's not necessarily like you and I talked on the phone earlier tonight. Like mm-hmm. my my brother in law, uh, he trains medics, I believe. Uh, <laughs> I think like <laughs> for, for he tra- he trains medics for the National Guard, and um, he's stationed in the Midwest, and he lives in the Midwest, and because he's enlisted, Kobe, oh, ah, baby, oh uh, turkey. So, uh, but. Because he's enlisted and it's he doesn't work on a base uh, with living quarters, he gets a housing allowance. Mm-hmm. That housing allowance pays the mortgage for him and his wife, uh, which is my sister-in-law. Until and, you and find the- out he makes $900 a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He makes $900 a month. And people are like, yo, you get a free house. And you're like, but sure, I, barely have I might to get $1,200 a month in basic allowance for housing. That money pays my $1,100 rent and or mortgage. However, I make $900 a month to feed, entertain, clothe, comfort my family, if you have one. And like, and if you, know, you don't, you're probably getting drunk and blown it at a casino like my friend Duncan did. You could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Until he got a family. <laughs> once, my, once my boy got a yeah. family. <laughs> or you become a straight up alcoholic. Yeah. It's like that's did you sad did you part. go did you go through like any straight up alcoholic moments? <laughs> <laughs> Dumb question. Here's what I'll say. <laughs> Dumb question. We are in a group of seventeen hundred people who fucking excessively drink bourbon, right? Yeah, we are. There are some names sorry, <laughs> that live in infamy and abuse of that, right? Mm-hmm. My initial alcohol abuse, like. 
everyone else's shit was child's play to what I was doing. I was drinking upwards of 45 to 50 beers a day. Jesus. On top. When we, was it, was this before any medications were yeah. prescribed to you? Yeah, this is before I started seeking professional help. This is before I started understanding the nature of alcohol abuse and drug abuse. This is before I started understanding the nature of how things might have affected me without me realizing it. Yeah. Like, this is before I learned a lot of shit. Like, I was on my way to full-blown alcoholism. I was drinking. When I say, like, I was drinking a lot, imagine drinking this much. You're drinking so much that you start going to the same store when the Speedway was doing this with the speedway card yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're going there so often to gather the points to get more free beer mm-hmm. and so to the point where you're so broke you don't have the money to even buy a 12 pack but you got the fucking speedway points to buy a 12 pack so doing that and drinking i mean just absurd i when i was working hvac I got paid weekly and I was making around 1800 bucks a week. The way that I was drinking, you would think I made $300 a week. I was drinking to absurd excess. And then one day, I can't remember what really flipped the knob for me. One day I was so, actually, you know what? It was rock bottom. It was complete rock bottom. And it was the dog that's upstairs making all this noise and shit that actually saved my life. She quite literally stopped me from putting a bullet in my head. Um, I was laying in my bed, apartment in my Washington. Um, I had my Glock 19. And I picked a holotip bullet, put it in, chambered in my mouth. I was three quarters of the way through a four, uh, five and a half pound trigger pull, meaning that I might have taken a fucking slight breeze to finish off the rest of it. And Happy came flying in my fucking bedroom. Like, literally, full charge my door open. I thought it was closed all the way. Like, closed, like latch. Mm-hmm. This dog fucking bow fucking right through my door like some crazy shit and that's why i let this dog get away with so much now because she's old and she's been around so that's that, that takes that just makes me step back and look at shit because that's something you and i haven't talked about no no and you, i and don't like, talk about that a like lot. You, you and i have talked about a lot of shit yeah. that's not something this is before. not something that i have shared with a lot of people i've shared it with a few but this is not something i've shared with a lot of people and um when you pick a bullet, when you like, when you when you finally reach like a you, point you where were you ready. pick you a were bullet, ready at like, that point. it wasn't just ready; it was a good idea. It's like suddenly, right? Like you, felt you so, have you this felt, mac and cheese, so right? Shitty. Well, check it out. Like, check it, you got all this mac and cheese in your house, but you're cooking. You're like, I don't want this dry ass cheese. I ain't got no milk or nothing. But then you find two packets of that Velveeta fucking cheese shit, yeah. and you're like. <laughs> like it's a good idea you're like i'm about to do some straight up custom mac and cheese shit yeah. it was like that it was almost like it was a good idea like That's literally it just sounded like you know today i'm gonna fucking kill myself this is well, a like, idea. so it's like for me like my wife deals with 
ongoing depression and anxiety probably more so anxiety for sure yeah oh yeah i can oh. see i can assume that like what's crazy for me is like i don't know what that feels like because like i get depressed mm-hmm. but i don't deal with depression i get anxious but i don't deal with anxiety you're a human. you know what i mean you're a human and um yeah. and it just sucks like i don't know what any of that shit feels like man i, I will say this, like have uh, i like yeah. have i have i have i gotten to a point where i was like you know man i could just kill myself and this would all be better of course i've thought that everyone fucking thinks mm-hmm. that at some point at some point Throughout life, whatever just happened was the worst thing that ever happened. Exactly. Yes. And you, of course, you think like, man, this would yeah. be better if I wasn't around. But like, but, I haven't. Like, I haven't. But everyone experiences that, right? Yeah. The hard part, the part that is really difficult to experience, is like that feeling plus not being able to feel like a normal fucking person. Yeah. Like not being able to come back. From yeah, that thought. Like, like not this. even that, just being able, like, being able to feel like a fucking civilian about how some of this shit is. It's because you join the military and you are a hundred percent brainwashed and you are told you're gonna be brainwashed and you're okay with that fact. But there's no un brainwashing mm-hmm. when you get out. So there's, there's, no, there's no how do you deal with this? That was the worst part about I would say the tail end. Look at that fat fucker running around with that goddamn strap. Just like it's fucking goddamn. <laughs> like he's a fucking, a fucking stallion on the range just whipping his fucking. But essentially what I'm getting at is that there's no undoing what they did. There's no undoing the amount of brainwashing you went through. There's no undoing the training that you went through. Is it? I still, 10 years after getting out of the Navy, do not sit with my back to a door. Ever. I don't do it. I don't trust motherfuckers at all. <laughs> I have a gun in every room of my house. I don't trust the government. I don't trust the police. I don't trust the justice system. I don't believe in our political fucking ideologies. Mm-hmm. In fact, I am at a point where it's like Democrat, Republican. If you know how to, here's where I'm at. You left and right. Do you treat people as if they deserve to be alive? Yes. Cool. You got my vote. Yeah. If you treat people and you understand that your experience is different from this person and you're competent to understand that you know my experience for example as we've discussed with like legal situations mm-hmm. and shit that my experience has been different than that of someone who say i make sorry say i make say i make this is totally theoretical say i make a hundred thousand dollars a year and a bunch of shit happens and i feel like you know i get blasted and i feel like I, all this shit's happened Say I encounter a legal battle at being a $100,000 a year individual. Now imagine I'm black or American Indian, Native American, or Mexican, or anything other than white, and I make $31,000 a year. The fact of the matter is the disparity in our fucking justice system and the way our government works is that these people have no 
fucking shot. They have no fucking chance. Mm-hmm. And that is why you end up with veterans who outright do not trust, do not respect, and will not respect the fucking government. You have guys who are in there now who are like, yeah, government tells me to do this, I'm going to do it. But when those motherfuckers get out, dude, and I'll give you another hypothetical. You have a complete uprising in this country, and people are about overthrowing the government or shit. I will tell you right now, the people who are leading the charge of fucking literally eradicating these fucking elite asshats mm-hmm. are going to be military veterans. Yeah, we will lead, train, and fucking like so do whatever the, we here, can. Here was it, I had a very good conversation with a guy, um, and he had he, he trains Navy SEALs. That's his job. That's he, he trains some Navy hardcore SEALs. shit. Um, he. He can't tell me specifics of things yeah, that happened be because everything that he was involved in was classified. Yeah, it so always is. It will he be. Can't, he can't tell me specifics. However, um, he has told me, like, up until he, he got injured, like, two years ago. Um, it was probably some bullshit training. And oh, he, he got in action. He was. In action. He was. Um, okay. So he got injured, and, and he kind of took a step back. And um, well, he still, you. he still, he got a promotion and still goes around and he's involved still, but not like he was. Yep. Um, but he, uh, it's, it's just so weird how disconnected, like the people, the people that are making the decisions, like as far as the political people in this country or the politicians in this country, like this is how disconnected, like it's funny to me, like it doesn't matter who's running for president. Every year there's someone running for president and everyone on either side goes, I really feel like I, like I, I can, like he relates to me. Mm-hmm. I relate to him. And it's, so, it's so far from the truth because this, this guy that trained Navy SEALs, um, he did a lot of security detail. Mm-hmm. Um, one story he could tell me about, and this was his story. Um, so when Trump had kept saying that there was a caravan of Mexicans uh, or, or illegal, illegal immigrants, Coming to on the Mexican way, border, yeah, yeah, um, which happens all the time, and they yeah. never make it. Blah blah blah. Yeah. I don't give a fuck about the story. They never publicize. But the the story this guy t- told me about was during that time there was a Republican senator um, who was like definitely like wanting to end the DACA, and he was totally uh, about splitting families apart. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing was like, you know, fuck it, they're breaking the law. Um, so this this senator, it was a Republican senator. Um, of course. he had some kind of meeting in Mexico. And so the guy I had a conversation with is the guy driving the fucking armored Humvee to drive this fucking Senator from the airport to wherever his meeting is. Uh-huh. The Senator gets out of the fucking airplane, gets into the, the Humvee and literally looks around at the bulletproof doors and glass and everything looks around and he goes, man, what's up with the armored car? And he said, dude, you are literally wanting to rip Mexican families away from their children. They want to kill you here. Yeah. Like you're like you have a hit. Like there's bounties on your head in this country. And I wish they would succeed in killing. them." And he looked at he looked at the uh, he looked at my buddy and he said. Seriously, they want to fucking kill me. And he's like, don't you watch the fucking news? Like, do you watch? don't. Like, they literally want you dead in Did this country. Did you hear about the Republican senator who thought that $1,200 enough, but $1,200 one-time payment was enough for a family of four to sustain themselves for six fucking 
months. Yeah. I live alone. That's my, that's my mortgage for Dude. one month. Oh, hold on, hold that's on. That's not food or anything you else. That's my mortgage. You have a wife and two children, right? Yeah. <laughs> I am single. I have been perpetually single, other than girlfriends and shit like that, since the separation of me and my ex-wife, right? Yeah. I own my own home, right? My mortgage as a solo individual who is also ranked as fucking 70% or 80% disabled by the VA and shit is a little over a grand a month. And you want to tell me that a family of four can survive, survive on $1,200 a month? Look at fucking what Canada did. They said, hey, bro, stay the fuck home. Here's four grand. And then for the next three months, here's $2,500 per month. So to make sure that you're good, guess what? Canada said, fuck you, United States. You ain't coming over here. <laughs> now, here we are. We're in the same country you were just talking about in Mexico saying, hey, U.S., fuck you. I, for the first time in my life, am not proud of my country. I'm not proud of what we've done. And I have seriously considered for the past two years leaving the country and writing everything so off. So my buddy, my buddy Sean that I started doing this podcast with, yeah, uh, he's, he's, he wants to move to Thailand. Oh, dude, I want to move to fucking Australia, New Zealand, or Greenland, Dude, this, mother, this motherfucker went to Thailand for like a week and a half and like immediately he's like, I think I'm uh I'm, I'm never going back to Thailand. Like he, dude, he felonies. he wants to fucking go. He wants to go bad. I committed felonies. But he also he's also excited about SpaceX exploring space, and he kind of wants to move to Mars too. So I don't know where Sean it's sits. All NASA. <laughs> Just go be an astronaut. But also, I would say this much: I personally like. I mean, like, let's go ahead and admit it. Like, what is our government? ever promised us that they followed through on. The fact of the matter is, excited. is that if you take the United States from 1920 to 2020, and the sad thing is we could say is this, right? In that 100 years, has been genocide. There's been unchecked racial discrimination and murder. There's been religious fucking discrimination which i don't disagree with because i think religion is a fucking joke i joined the navy as a strong christian i got out of the navy as a steadfast atheist that happened during that six years yes i don't believe in god like being in the military and making me realize that the bubble i grew up in was exactly that. A fucking bubble, dude. It's, it's a sense of protection like, and safety. There nothing will make you feel less small. Like you wanna make any human being on this earth feel really small, and you say we should just take everyone to space and make them feel small. It doesn't take that much. You take a motherfucker out to the middle of the goddamn ocean and you stick them out there for six fucking months in the middle of the ocean. Where maybe an email gets through. Maybe. Maybe you, you get mail once every three months. And when you're out there, you guys are you're just floating around, right? Just like there's not a mission at fucking hand. Fucking right? figure eights, dude. 
Like you're patrolling. We call them figure eights because you are literally traveling thousands of miles doing this. With nothing. Like figure never, eights. There's, like, there's no purpose behind it's it. It's called a forward show of power. That is why every time a U.S. aircraft carrier pulls into a port, you see all the fucking sh- goddamn planes and all the motherfucking helicopters. And well, that's like the, all the stupid see, douchebags with their perfect fucking goddamn costumes. Like, so I, and only because you have experience bullshit. in this and you know like how much fuel and blah 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 goes into things. Of so mass. at the beginning, so at the beginning of of sporting events here in the U.S., specifically football games, uh, sometimes important baseball games, but definitely like almost every fucking Sunday, uh, there's a, some kind of retired military uh, plane or something that flies over a football game. Only because you know what goes into making that plane get through the air at that point. How much? How much fucking money does it cost for a, a military plane to fly over a stadium? <laughs> a fucking shitload. Like when I say a shitload, I mean I can't remember the exact monetary yeah, this is, numbers. This is, this is millions. The right? amount of fuel used off of one. Military jet, and they don't just slowly fly by. Like like, they're like, well, no, that's pretty slow. But you want to see them go fast? It's something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't hear them. Like, no, I'll tell you. I will say this much: you want to be impressed like a motherfucker. Ready? You're sitting there, like, uh, bam! What the fuck was that? Like, and you see a B two bomber going. Like when they hammer past you, dude. That shit. I will say this much: it's impressive. It'll get your patriotic boner harder than it's ever been in your life. You're like, oh, oh America. Like, bam. Like, holy shit. God damn, that's amazing. Jesus Christ, America. Toby Keith, I want to be a cowboy. I'll put a boot in your I'll ass. put a boot in your ass. Toby Keith did that one, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't listen to country. I listen to bluegrass. Like, yeah. But anyway, I mean, but either way, it's fucking unbelievable. I'll say this much. Every I I used to know that because they used to pound these numbers into our head. That's the thing about the military. They will pound the numbers of the financial cost into your fucking head. The Kitty Hawk had four main reducing gears. And this is a rumor. I have no confirmation of this. They say the Navy rented the reducing gears from GE at $1 billion per pop. God damn. And there were four reduction gears on the Kitty Hawk. Jesus fucking Christ. They claim that. I don't know this. But are they throwing that number out there just to make you go, wow. Yeah, like like the Kitty Hawk was 90,000 tons of displacement. Jesus. They displaced 90,000 tons of water. Like, it's a good-sized aircraft carrier, okay, right? Is. Until you see the Reagan, until you see the Truman, until you see fucking the Nimitz, the, wait, wait, the Nimitz, Nimitz, sorry, Nimitz class, my apologies, the George H.W. Bush, and all that shit. Those motherfuckers were bigger than the Kitty Hawk. The Kitty Hawk flight deck was like fucking seven football fields. 
Same thing. I, like, yeah, I just, you just don't, you don't, when you think of the crap character, you don't, you, you don't think, think about, about the size. Dude, I'll tell you this. Because we don't see them. We don't if, fucking see them. At every so point in time in your life, at any point in time in your life, if you were ever able to make it onto a military base, a naval base, just to walk the ship's road, I will say this much to you. It's the most mind-blowing shit in the world. The first time I saw the Kitty Hawk, I just walked up to it and I was like, how is this even fucking possible? I was like, who put this together? This is <laughs> from the water level to the highest point of the ship was like 30 stories. So when you, like, so you obviously left the military feeling a lot different than you did going in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I grew like, up. Kind of, I like, hope. what kind of... Like, what kind of feelings did that make you have? Like, did... Like, did you feel like you were... Did you feel like you were lied to? Or did you feel like you expected too much? Or or was it a mix of both? No, that's the thing. It's the military does not lie to you on what to expect. I will say that much. They do not fucking sugarcoat on what you need to expect. They tell you exactly what you should expect and that along the way like you'll learn it and shit you have to, a lot of it's a crash course but the fact of the matter is is like a lot of it is your own initiative to learn yeah. they give you like a supreme amount of a movement to learn and like any job you know Say you work for a company that has just 30 employees. With a company with 30 employees, it's easy as fuck to shine, right? Well, you go to a main space. A main space has, say, 60. It don't take much to shine. Yeah. It don't take much. You study. You do your shit. The only difference is in order to get advanced at all, to order to get promotions, is you need to take tests. So you need to go a little above and beyond and stuff. Like, to be honest with you, I wish I never got out. I wish I never got out because, like, at the age that I am now and stuff, like, I know, like, at least 10 dudes I served with who are all fucking senior chief petty officers right now. Like, I was in E4 when I got out. These motherfuckers are E8s, you know, E7, E8s and Mm. stuff like that. And... And it's just because they really stuck through. It was because, like, I joined during a very transitional period to the point where it was like, all and right. That, that was, and it wasn't just the Navy. That was a transitional period. For the entire Completely all around. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, so, for an example, the, the U.S. Navy ended up kicking out 50,000 people. They called them deadweight sailors. Essentially, we're you've qual- been in qualified. for this long, and you haven't advanced in this long. Okay. You are literally past your ability to advance any further. You've been a first-class petty officer for 14 years, you know, so they called them deadweight sailors. So they're basically cutting off people they, yeah. felt, was, they felt were eating off the system. Yeah, no, people who were. They were bogging it down. Like, I It's like those motherfuckers spend, that work at hospitals that have their fucking supervisor They got their pension. Only because they've been there that Exactly, long. exactly. Like, Not because they're actually smart enough to yeah, do their job. No, like, there is a fucking, like, honestly, like, dude, I, and this is the crazy part. I took the E5 exam 
and I passed, but did not ex- advance. And so did hundreds of undergraduates I knew passed, but did not advance. And then the year I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm done. I'm getting out. I transitioned out and all that stuff. And right before they said they were cutting deadweight sailors and they cut out like something like 60,000 sailors, right? So keeping in mind that I had passed but not advanced five times on this exam. I get out three months later. These motherfuckers all advance. Every single fucking one of them. I was like, are you fucking shitting me? Not only do they advance, these motherfuckers are all senior chiefs right now. So literally, I joined in 2004. It is 2020, 16 years in. Every dude I served with who we all struggled to advance is now a senior chief, which is some unheard of shit because when I joined in at 14 years, nobody was a chief. They were first-class petty officers. They were You did not advance because there were so many people in the rate already. There wasn't any room. There wasn't go. no room. They kicked all those motherfuckers out. These dudes started going, Pop right up. It's fucked up. So I looked to join the officer enlistment service, like OES program. And after the war, they were like, well, now we don't have to waive felons anymore. So you need to be the most perfect motherfucker in the world. Because I'm ADHD and I take Adderall, I am immediately disqualified. Jesus. 100%. Even though I went to college and I got my degree, and I went back to the military and said, I would like to go back to the military as an officer. They said, oh, you've taken Adderall at least once since you were 14 years old. So you are no longer qualified to even be in the military. But they, like, at the same time, like, uh, was it Vietnam? They packed fucking amphetamines so that they could stay up fucking all hours of the day. No, it's no, just no. like. It's just straight up. Because. Because that, that was because the thing, they, they called them dead weight. No, that was a shit back in World War II. You ever heard of that? Then? I thought it was Vietnam. I no, could no, totally You go off, back to World War II. But they used to give amphetamines. And you used out, to right? get amphetamines mailed to you as an American citizen. That's crazy. This shit goes back to World War II. World War II. Why do you think we were so fucking productive? Oh, yeah. Why do you think we outproduced any other thing? They literally, in the mail, shipped you. Here's your math, bro. Well, and well, and until until it wasn't until like maybe 2004 or whatever when like Sudafed uh, started being kept behind the counters because that's what meth was. Oh, being it was earlier from. than that. Was it? It was earlier than that. I'll just give a splash. Just it's just give you a it's fucking chance. crazy. But I listen uh, here, bitches. Americans are hooked on speed. Fuck yeah, we are. Speed, speed, <laughs> alcohol, speed, and alcohol. Cheers. Baby. Cheers. I appreciate you being on. Oh man, let's get real about something. Let's get real dark, real quick before we, you know, really. So here's okay. So here's what I would like. This is the question that I have for you about the, the entire experience of the military and your experience post military. Okay. What do you wish would change to make it better? Like, what specific change could be made to make the situation better for people like yourself that come out and feel like they didn't give enough? themselves but also feeling like the military or the country is failing you 
after you leave. Like, what what would make it better? That's his fucking bloated ass question. It is for sure, and those are the questions that I've loved to ask. <laughs> but like, what like what what like instead of instead of the the taps thing where they tell you you're a great American. Here's your class. How to suffer, like right? you did. You're a hero. You did a good thing. Don't worry about the bad. Like instead of them trying to hype up your fucking ego of patriotism. So like now that you've, you've, you've sought out, uh, counselors and and therapists, I'm assuming. I've been seeing the same psychologist and psychiatrist of the VA since 2013. The same, same person, same people, Dr. Julie Kepner and Dr. Inga Munson. I love that dude's name because he's fucking Nordic. Does the does the personality keep up with that name? Because that's yes. a dope ass. He name. is like straight up Icelandic Viking. I love this dude. Like I've it, to give you some example. Like when I first started seeing the VA for like psychological shit, like they almost tried to force commit me against my will. But I knew the cop they sent to my house, and the cop knew damn well that they that it was a greenhorn ass doctor, mm-hmm. right? So the lead of the department of the Cincinnati, like the entire city, the lead psychologist, psychiatrist, the guy who leads the fucking PTSD department calls me and he says, please continue getting help. He's like, I am so sorry you experienced the issues you experienced. I, and this is when shit really started to change. So I was kind of blown away. So I said, okay, cool. I'll do it. Not at the downtown VA. For the record. The VA that is in Cincinnati, Ohio, for decades has been known as the worst fucking VA across the goddamn. But country. in the past ten years, it's gotten it has gotten better. Like, so my just as an example of how bad it was. So the best the best VA apparently, from what I hear, is in Washington D.C. I doubt that. But so here, my great That's uncle because I think D.C. should sink into the fucking sea. So. <laughs> You're not wrong. But so my 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 great uncle, uh, he was also in the Navy and my uncle Pat, who I'm named after, was in the Navy. Yeah, yeah, you told me. That. So my my great uncle Ralph, uh, yeah. he was in the Navy, retired. Uh, he owned an apartment or rented an apartment in D.C. unfurnished because he never went in it. But he had an apartment there <laughs> so that he could use the address so that he could go to the Washington, D.C. V.A. I believe that because the VA here in Cincinnati and I, and this is like, I mean, he was old dude. So he probably, yeah. he probably oh, retired yeah, from the yeah. military, like early eighties, late seventies, yeah. early eighties, maybe. But he literally rented property in another fucking state so that he could go to a VA in another fucking state. Cause the one here was so, so fucking I will bad. proudly admit, I will proudly admit this. Um, and you go there, so if it's gotten better, no, I no, would take I'll your probably word admit this. Like, like a lot of people, don't, and I will not admit it outside of this, mm-hmm. and I will not admit it to any local news organization or shit like that. Just the listeners of the MF and Block podcast. I when I started going to school to get my VA, you know, my compensation, I started going to school. Um, I spent 80% of my time from probably around 2011 until 2015 combating the VA system 
how difficult they made it for veterans in the area, how difficult systems were made for like veterans going to UC and shit. And the fact of the matter is this, and I will proudly admit this, the reason that a non-veteran no longer runs the Veterans Service Commission at the University of Cincinnati is because I got that bitch fired. Because the fact is that she was terrible. She made she had veterans waiting months to get the fucking benefits they were deserved, and they were going, they were going broke, they were going homeless, they were going all that shit. I was like, and was that? Do you feel like that was an intentional thing from above the VA to suppress? No, that wasn't from the VA. That oh, was, was from that, UC. Was that, that was okay. UC. I I literally requested and demanded a sit down with the fucking the deans of both colleges because I was the president of the Veterans Service Commission at that time, and my mentor. Thank you for your services. <laughs> my mentor at the time, fucking Mr. Jeff Bosworth, who has since passed away, and. He still has an active Facebook page. Every time that motherfucker's birthday pops me up, fucks me up because this dude mentored me, dude. He mentored me. And I remember him talking about the fucking bother that he had in his eye that he was worried about. He's giving him fucking pain all shit. That was the cancer that killed him. And, wow. like, I just remember that shit. And the fucking fact of the matter is, is, like, without that dude, I wouldn't have been like, this is bullshit. You shouldn't have veterans waiting seven months to recollect their educational GI Bill benefits because you have a woman who has no idea what the fuck she's doing leading it. Her name is Debbie something or another. I got that bitch fired. I remember articles about oh, dude. her. Her name was, name was like Debbie something. She was at UC Claremont. I, not only did I get that bitch fired, but I got a fucking veteran to lead the fucking goddamn, like, charge like from uc i was like you don't need a fucking civilian leading this you need a veteran i got a veteran hired that motherfucker Man, you know you know the, one of the, one of the cool um so a lot of the guests that i have on this podcast i i try to bring up i try to bring up something that that i did at some point with the guests that i have on um, that kind of tell me more. <laughs> Fuck yeah! But like I, I um, <laughs> like what? So, like I had one guy on, and I told him something that he had said to me at some point in time that impacted me a lot. And he Ooh. was probably unaware Am that I it impacted like me. That? You are. Oh, what's up? What I got? What I got? What did I say? Is it crazy? It wasn't. It wasn't so much. It wasn't so much what you said. It's just like from the moment you and I met, like we were just friends instantly. Yeah, instantly. Yeah, we've always been chill as fuck together. There was no like bullshit. It was just like we were cool. Like getting to getting to know you, there was no getting to know you moment. You know what I mean? It's, right about, it's about the only yeah. way to say it. Really. No, I like that. But That's like, pretty dope. You, you and I, um, and it's because I care about the people that care about me. You, you and I, we went to. Uh, it was the the Green Beret. Yo, the Green Beret cruise. Oh, yeah. That was dope as so, fuck. So I had we went, such a good time with so that shit. We went to. Fuck yeah! Uh, so a good friend of ours uh, is uh, a family member. It was Rich Homel that uh, that we got on that, wasn't it? Uh, 
Randy runs the Randy's involved in the Randy. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Randy Hamelli is Kelly's um, fuckers. What we did. Uh, Randy Hamelli, uh, he sits on the board of the local uh, uh, Green Brave Foundation. Kobe. No. Oh, that's two for two. That's two, two for two. I suck so, when I made two for two. So he sits on uh, the board of the, uh, which shirt is that? Tasty Burger. Oh, God damn it. That's <laughs> a tasty burger. Can I have a sip of your cola to wash this down? Wash this down? <laughs> this little but he, I'm so... Parched. Randy sits on the board of the the local Green Bray um, Foundation, and and to be honest, that was like, a good ass Bob. Like getting to know getting to know the guys in the organization and learning what that organization does. Like I feel like they, it's not, it's not so much like an American pride thing. It's not a pro military thing. When these green, there's there's not a lot of Green Brays. The the numbers just simply don't exist there. They die shortly after getting out of the military. Well, they die. Um, there's a lot. The suicide rate health is very issues. fucking high. Um, Dude, but it's it's just don't there's, get me started on the suicide like the, there's just not there's not a lot of people that make it into the Green Berets. Like that's just what it is. Uh, and, and then it's not just them. It's there's so many special forces. And we should respect the fuck out of the Green Berets. Absolutely, they've done some of the hardest goddamn missions out there. Absolutely, and then there are things we'll never hear about. Yeah, you know oh, what dude, I, mean? I got some good stories that I can't tell you. Right, I'm not a Green Beret, but I have a buddy who. Um, he what he joined the army before he joined the navy. His father was stricken to be the master chief petty officer of the navy. That's the highest rank you can reach in the fucking U.S. Navy. Mm -hmm. Master chief petty officer of the navy is called the MCPON, right? This dude didn't want to be known as the son of the MCPON, and the guy who got elected over him, like solely because this guy chose, but this guy. Like Black Hawk Down, for example, Black Hawk Down the movie. This dude was there. The reason he's alive because he took a fucking seven six two to the chest. The ceramic plate shattered and caught the bullet. He says the last thing I remember his feet was being over his head, and he had taken all the armor plates out of his back like a lot of the other guys. So a lot of the dudes who died in fucking Black Hawk Down in yeah. Somalia, they took the fucking plates out. He left the front plate in. Only thing to save him life. You know, when they were in the street shooting out and shit, Damn. he stepped out of his Humvee. <laughs> and he says the next thing he remembers was his feet were over his head. And he caught a 7.62 from an AK-47 to the chest. Wow. Shattered the porcelain plate in his chest. And he crawled off to the side and fucking survived. And, like, it was an amazing story. He told me some other shit I can't tell people. Because technically it's still classified, and he even told me, like, this one's still classified. And it wasn't a bullshit story. It wasn't like a puffin' my caca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this dude was legit as fuck. Like, the, so when we went, we went to that, the, the, so Randy Hamelli being on the board of the Green Brave Foundation locally. <sighs> Hamelli. He took, is that how you say it? I don't know. I, just I thought like it was Hamelli. I like just saying, Hamelli. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's Jewish, but he, yeah. <laughs> oh man! So he forgive um, me for my ignorance. He holds a he holds a yearly cruise on the the BB River boats. Um, shout out to the BB River boats. Boop, boop. Yeah. Ben, you owe me a bottle, bitch. <laughs> and 
But every year they're, they're, they have this cruise, and every year Buffalo Trace is cool enough to mm-hmm. donate um, a private barrel selection for the event. And when we went, it was the uh, Eagle Rare. Eagle Rare one. The first year was a uh, Old Weller Antique uh, private barrel selection. Dude, that one was so good. I drank I three went, of those. I went. So yeah. what was cool, so you're only supposed to get one if you go to the event. But what's well, cool is so many, So they can only fit so many people on the boat. So there was enough for me to get two of everything. Yeah, we did. You bought two and I ended up buying two too. So, um, but what was cool is that you went with me. Yeah, it was like a weird, awkward date. Yeah, yeah. we went on a mandate. Yeah, we were mandate like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. Mistakes happen. Continue. But we we went. And it was it was a cool thing to go do. Uh, it was a cool thing to go do with you. Um, I enjoyed myself. And, and you get good, you get good fucking bourbon. And it was just cool. But that was like for for me, like for the the friendship that we have. Like that night was one of those nights. Yeah, that was cool. Where it was just like I don't know. Like you have nights that just mean more than other nights. Yeah. And that was one of those nights that where I was like, I value what we have. You know what I mean? For sure. There were no expectations. We were just checking that shit out. Absolutely. It was totally weird, but at the same point in time, we were like... Now that you're you're straight abusing alcohol. Yeah, I just... This is like the seventh JC glass I've broken just in the past three months. Kaplan, we're going to need more glass. No, I was going to say... But I would cheers you, but your shit's fucked. Hold on. My shit's fucked. Episode 14 is in the books. <laughs> Thanks for being on. Love you, buddy. <laughs> Love you, too. Yeah, man.